And uh, then we're just going to pull out a few highlights and use this passage as a launch pad for some, uh, some other comments because I have one big theme that I want to present to you this morning. Uh, we're not going to do an exegesis and take this passage all apart, but it does mention three things in particular that are important for us. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 23. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Heavenly Father, we once again just want to commit our time to you. I pray that you would free us from the distractions in the environment, free us from distractions in our own minds, Deliver us from the evil one who would lead us to think about other things, make us uncomfortable, and somehow uh, keep us from hearing your word. I pray that you would help us to listen to your voice this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to focus on three verses very quickly. Verse 15, first of all, is a call to be holy. This is a general call to be holy, but since we are thinking specifically this morning about marriage, then I would challenge you to be holy in your marriage. You see, we Christians love generalities. How are you doing? Oh, fine. Well, yeah, generally you're fine, but you know, you, I've got arthritis in my hands and, and I'm not all fine, but generally I'm fine. So we, we say fine. If someone were to say, how are you doing spiritually? You'd say, oh, fine, generally speaking. You don't happen to mention the sin that's there. You got a problem, but we hide behind generality. So if I were to ask you this morning, so are you being holy in your marriage? Well, that's a little specific, isn't it? And you might be struggling with that. You might not be as holy in your marriage as you, uh, you know you should be. So think about this. As we go, go along, again, as I say, we're not going to do an exegesis of this, but just keep these things in mind. The next thing I want to look at is verse 22, where it says, having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Again, this is a lovely general thing. Oh, do you love everybody? 
Yeah, we love everybody. How about your spouse? Not so much. Got a little problem there. So uh, this, is, this is a big part of being like Jesus, is to love earnestly. Look at that word, earnestly. That's like with your whole heart. That's not some tepid kind of peck-on-the-cheek kind of love. This is self-sacrificial love that we're called to. And then finally, we're looking at this verse, talking about how we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. I want to mention something that you may have never thought of before, or maybe you have. When it talks about the living and abiding word of God, what's that? Now, most of us think of the Bible right away, just the living and abiding word of God. But look at the words here. Look at the words carefully. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Who said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it, it abides alone and doesn't bear any fruit? Who said that? Jesus said that. Who is the living word? Jesus. So I don't mind at all if you apply this and you say that Scripture is, uh, is what we're saved through because the message comes through Scripture. But, but we're not saved by the Bible. We are saved by the ab living and abiding Word of God. Jesus, who is the Word, the Logos of God. So there's something for you to think about as we, as we move along forward. Now, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, we're talking about building stronger Christian marriages, but I want to start by talking about two things that have nothing to do with marriage. All right? These would be like parables. Let's think about uh, a fellow named Jim. Jim is a basketball player, and he's on a team which hopes to win the championships at the end of the season. And he really wants to make the greatest contribution he possibly can to the team. He wants his team to be the best. But, of course, one individual player can't make the team great. But what can he do? He can make himself as good as possible. And that's what Jim's taken on to do. So, what does he do? He spends time with his coach. And you know the, uh, the jocks at high school always were hanging around the... Uh, the athletic director's office, you know, uh, watching games with him on TV so that, you know, they could hear what he says. He commented about other players and other games and other plays and things like that. He's learning his, uh, his coach's preferred style. Uh, is he mostly defensive, mostly offensive? What's his default style? What's he going to go to in a pinch? Things like that. He learns to read his signals, both his official signals, and just reading his body language so that when he's on the court and he glances at the coach, he kind of knows what the coach is going to ask for next so he's able to anticipate that and do it. But that's not all. He doesn't just hang out with the coach. He's disciplined about a few things. He's disciplined about his nutrition, because athletes have to take care of their bodies. They, uh, they eat lots of protein, you know, so they get those big muscles. I never had that problem, by the way. Uh, apparently, I'm protein-deprived. Uh, <laughs> but they, he, they eat well. 
okay? And Jim does that. He makes sure that he gets enough sleep, particularly before big games. And he, and he exercises. He does uh, weight training and things like that that will help him just generally be stronger. But then specifically, because he's a basketball player, he works on his running and his agility. He works on um, dribbling. So get that going. I don't know if you've seen guys when they're training, they'll, they'll dribble with two basketballs at the same time just to you know, make it harder for themselves. Uh, it increases their skills. Um, he works on his shots, his jump shots and his bank shots and his hook shots and his layups. And uh, that's the only kind of shots I know, to be truthful. Uh, but he works on all of those kinds of things. But he doesn't just develop his personal skills. He also develops his team playing skills. If you're a basketball player, you would know about something they call court awareness. Court awareness is the ability you have to always keep track of the whole court around you. And you know where you are in relationship to everything else and everybody else. You, you just, you're constantly aware of where the opposing players are, where your guys are, so that you can make the best possible plays. He works on his passing skills. After all, uh, we've, we all know that you could be a star basketball player, but if you don't occasionally pass the ball to someone who's in the clear, your team's not going to do so well. So he works on those kinds of skills. He's also building relationships with his teammates. He knows their strengths and weaknesses because, after all, if you pass the ball to someone who's incapable of doing what needs to be done at the moment, then everybody looks bad. So because he is aware of his teammates and what they can do and what they can't do, he doesn't put them in embarrassing situations and he builds respect so that then when he's in the clear, people have no hesitation to get the ball to him because they know he's skilled and they know he knows what to do with it. So those are some things about, uh, about Jim, the basketball player. Now some of you haven't got a clue about sports. I don't have a clue about sports, but that's all right. Um, I'm not speaking from personal experience. I'm talking about Jim. This next person I want to talk about, I have a little more um, understanding of, of her situation. This is Carol. She plays clarinet in the college band. Any musicians? I know there are a few of you. Carol plays in this band that uh, has a chance of going to Europe this spring if they, uh, if they beat out the other bands in the area. And so she wants to have the best band because she wants to go to Europe in the spring. So what's she going to do? Well, she does uh, some things that are kind of similar to what Jim does, except she's doing it in the music department. She hangs out with the music director. And I remember from my time in high school band, uh, by the way, I played baritone sax. If, if there are any baritone sax players here, please come and see me after. We're a small elite group. Uh, but there were always kids. The best, the best musicians always hung out in the music director's office. And whenever they had a spare or even sometimes between classes, they'd run down there and hang out. Uh, that was what they, that's what they did. You see, they were developing relationship with the music director. They were learning uh, what what that the director liked and what they didn't like. And, and, and so this is what Carol does. She spends time with her director too and she, she learns to read her subtlest gestures when she's conducting. Um, she's, 
she's constantly listening to music with her, hearing her comments and just picking up tips in general. She too is disciplined about some things. She's disciplined about her eating and she's disciplined about sleeping and she's disciplined about exercise. And in particular, because she's a woodwind player, she swims so that she develops her lung capacity and strengthens her lungs so she can give good breath support and hold those really long notes that go on for bar after bar after bar. Um, she does those kinds of things. And speaking of individual skills, she, she's, uh, she's taking private lessons. Because you know that if, if you've ever, anybody ever play in a high school band? Yeah, a few people, maybe. Um, now, I've, all of my children have played in high school bands. I need to be careful. But they're pretty torturous to listen to. They're not very good. Because a lot of the kids only only do music in music class, and that's just not enough time. But Carol, she's serious about her music. She's moved on to a college level, and she's taking private lessons. She wants to be really good, and she practices. She does those horrible scales and exercises that nobody wants to do to get her fingers moving faster and faster. Uh, she practices sight reading, a skill that uh, many of us wish we had developed better, uh, but Carol's working on it hard. But she's not just developing her personal skills, as important as they are. <coughs> Excuse me. She's also working on her, on her uh, group playing skills. So she's, she's careful to listen to everyone around her so that she, has a, she develops a feel for where the music's going. She's not just playing notes on the page. That's what makes grade and dying bands sound so awful. They're just playing notes. Honk, honk, honk. Uh, sorry if you're a grade nine musician. Try to pull the music off the page. But that's what Carol does. She, she, she looks for those subtle changes in, in tempo and dynamics that, that makes the music come alive and, and feel like real music and not just noise. Uh, and again, she's, uh, she's strengthening her relationships with her teammates, she, or her, her uh, bandmates. She, she helps those that need help and she respects those that are, that are already playing well. So, what we've, what we've seen so far is that winning teams are made up of skilled, committed athletes. And excellent bands are made up of committed, talented musicians. So here's the big question. Do you suppose that successful Christian marriages are made up of committed, godly believers. Ooh. Let's think about this. Let's think about uh, how to strengthen your marriage. Well, think about a Christian couple named Dave and Sue. And each of them want to have a really good marriage. After all, a really good marriage is a really good thing. It's, it's got so many benefits, including increased longevity. Imagine if you could live longer just by getting married. Whew, we'd all sign up. Of course, by the way, a bad marriage is actually worse than staying single. So uh, just a word of warning about that. So what did they do? Well, individually, they spend time alone with God. They're developing intimacy with him. They're reading his word, they're praying, and they're listening to his voice. 
So they're actually spending time doing this. You might be shocked to know this, and please try to maintain a flat affect, as they say. A flat affect is like no expression, because some of you will incriminate yourselves. But some Christians don't read the Bible. Some Christians don't take time to pray. Some, some Christians don't even want to hear God's voice because they're afraid he might convict them. He would tell them something they don't want to hear. But you see, Dave and Sue are serious about being Christians. And so they pursue these things. And they're, they're developing being aware of his presence. They've read the Proverbs. They know that if in all our ways we acknowledge him, he directs our paths. Well, now there's another lovely general, general thing, isn't it? You know, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Well, generally, I could be doing that. What about in your marriage? Do you acknowledge his ways in your intimate relationships? Your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, and so on? Hmm, that's... Uh, that's something to think about. But Dave and Sue are doing that. They're trying to be aware of his presence, knowing that he is with them all the time. And they're learning the principles of walking in the Spirit. So that's the first thing. It's sort of like Jim spending time with his coach and, and um, Carol spending time with her music director. They're spending time with God. Then... Dave and Sue lead a disciplined life. They're disciplined about physical health and, uh, and psychological health and social health, uh, but also about their spiritual and moral health as well. And that prompts them to be seeking helpful input. So they, they read the scriptures and they think about that and meditate on it and benefit from it, but they, they seek helpful input from other places, from books and music and online resources. Like they're, they're thinking about how to increase their appreciation for the Lord Jesus and to walk more closely with him. They're working at overcoming temptation, something else that a lot of Christians don't bother with because it's kind of inconvenient. And uh, they exercise their spiritual gifts. Now, these are all personal things. Our, our spiritual gifts are, are abilities that God gives us sovereignly to benefit others. And they're not, they're not necessarily used in conjunction with, with our spouse. They might be, but often it's an individual thing. So Dave and Sue are both working on their individual spiritual lives. But... Like others... They're also developing their body life skills. This is their, their church life skills. So they're learning to communicate in both directions. This is so important. We talked about it on Friday night a little bit, is active listening, really listening to understand. And that's, it's wonderful in a, in a church environment, in, a, in, a, in the body of Christ, when we speak to someone, to know that they're really listening to understand what we're saying. I tell you, I appreciate it. When I'm up here and I see faces that indicate connection, oh, thank you for that. 
that's, that's really encouraging. We, we become active listeners. Uh, but then also, we need to be able to express ourselves clearly so that it's easy to understand what we're saying. Um, both Dave and Sue are learning to, I'm gonna put it this way, they, they're learning to read people accurately. You know, if, if you don't pay real attention to people, you miss a lot. And so when you ask your friend, so how are you? Fine. And you leave it at that, well, they may be fine, or if you really know them and you can read their faces and their body language, you'll go like, you just said you're fine and you're not fine. Let's talk. Let's go for coffee. Come over to my house. So they're, they're developing that kind of skill. They're, they're learning to be like Jesus was when he could look through the superficial and go straight to the problem. Remember when the, the uh, four men lowered the the paralytic man on the, on the cot, and uh, <laughs> they were expecting that Jesus would heal him right off the bat. I mean, like, do you have to think about that? But what did Jesus do first? Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus looked past the obvious and got to the spiritual problem. And sometimes with our friends, we need to look past the obvious and, and go for the spiritual thing. And then they're strengthening relationships in the church. They're being, they're being responsive. Individually, they're being responsible, interactive members of the fellowship. And believe it or not, that helps them have a better marriage, a stronger Christian marriage. I'm going to challenge you with this idea that becoming the strongest, vibrant, individual Christian you can will give your marriage a solid foundation and equip you for that two becomes one kind of relationship that you've entered into. That's what Dave and Sue are working on. So, the depth of relationship they have with God prevents them from developing unhealthy codependency. Now, a quick word about this. It's important because while God expects you to, to give high priority to your relationship and your mate, he doesn't want you to worship them. You don't take your identity from your spouse, you take your identity from God. And, and psychologists use this expression, codependence. Uh, and you can develop a codependence uh, codependency or a codependent relationship with your spouse whereby you need them and they need you so much that, that basically you become focused just on the two of you and, and you lose sense of who you are without them. So we need to be careful. But if we're, if we're connected with God appropriately, if we're worshiping God and not our spouse, if we're turning to God to meet our needs and not our spouse, then in fact, we will be more healthy individually and we'll have a, a better relationship. Then they're learning to put others first in the body of Christ. Sets the stage for them to be able to put each other first in their relationship. You see, if, you, if you've not developed a healthy church life where you're interacting with other believers, ministering to them and receiving their ministry to you, then when you get married, you, you don't, know what to do with that. 
and you're not already prepared. But if you've, if you've developed a healthy church life, then you just, you just transfer that now to your spouse, and it makes for a better relationship. Uh, the biblical relationship skills developed among their circle of Christians gives them a head start in communicating and cooperating. Uh, you know, some people are just, okay, all of us, let's just get straight to the point here. All of us are selfish. We're all self-referencing. We all, deep down in our innermost being, we all think that the world would be a better place if everyone else were just a little more like me. Yeah, I, I know who you are. Yes. You're not that different from me. Okay, but developing a, a biblical kind of relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ helps us to learn to cooperate, to do a little give along with the take. Their individual obedience to the Lord enhances the godly bond that protects their relationship in time of stress. You know, things come apart in times of stress. Everything comes apart in times of stress. Your car falls apart when it's stressed. You hit a, hey, are you excited about the potholes that are being fixed in the city of Toronto these days? This weekend is pothole weekend. Did you know that? You did. You didn't know that. They're fixing potholes. I don't know if it counts here in Mississauga, but they're doing it in Toronto. Uh, Toronto people would be excited about that. <laughs> so, the, but you know, cars hit potholes, they're stressed and bad stuff happens. Uh, in relationships, uh, in marriages, stress comes along, financial trouble, um, trouble with your kids. Uh, health trouble, those kinds of things stress the relationship. But if you've already built the bond together through your individual obedience to God, you're not going to suddenly fly apart now being disobedient to your vows because of some external stressor. And then finally, uh, have, don't you love that? Do all of you have a little thrill, a little adrenaline rush when the preacher says finally? <laughs> you do, don't you? And he's still got nine minutes to go. What's he going to do with the rest of his time? Well, you'll find out in just a moment. <laughs> having, having learned as individuals to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that prepares them to have an outward-focused marriage, one that's prepared to reach out to others in need, to sacrifice for others. They're not all turned in on themselves. It's not all just about them, but rather they, they can minister to others because they've already learned to keep their focus outward and not just be selfish about it. So, the best thing that you can do to build a strong Christian marriage is to deepen and strengthen your own personal spiritual life. You want to have a great marriage? Be a great Christian. The reason that some marriages, some Christian marriages are struggling is because the individuals aren't first and foremost committed to God. They're first and foremost committed to themselves. So naturally, you take two people, two selfish people, two self-referential people, and put them together, and of course the sparks are gonna fly because each one thinks the other one exists 
to fulfill them and meet their needs. But if you've already learned to turn to God to meet your needs and fulfill your life, then you put those two people together and they enrich each other. Does that make sense? I hope so. Now, as you're listening to me, it's really fascinating watching faces, by the way. When I was a teenager, I used to think that when I was sitting in the congregation, I was invisible. And it came as a, as a great revelation to me one time when a preacher approached me and commented about, all right, he commented about my behavior in church. I was a teenager, all right. But I remember it shocked me to think that preachers can actually see individual people and, and see what they're doing. It's interesting to watch your faces right now. Just thought I'd throw that out there for you. Just a word of encouragement. Uh, but you know what? You don't need to think very hard, as we've talked about these things, to know what you need to work on. And you may be already aware of it. The problem is you've just never acted on it. I mentioned this on Friday. I want to mention it again. There's a parable, I think it's Matthew 20, where uh, Jesus talks about a man who owns a vineyard and he has two sons and he says to both the boys, go work in the vineyard. And the first son says, sure, dad, and doesn't go. And the second son says, no. And then he thinks better and he goes, yeah, I'll go. And he goes. And Jesus says, which of the two did the will of the father? And of course, everybody knows it's the one who said no. He was reluctant at first, but then he did it. You see, it's so easy for us as Christians to be the first son because we know so much. We know all the right answers. I could give you a quiz on the Christian life and you'd all ace it because you know the answers. You're like the first son. Sure, Dad. Got it. I get the picture. But then you don't do anything. Now, I'm not telling you to be like the second son. I'm not, not saying be reluctant and then go. But some of us are reluctant. Some of us, it's hard to get motivated. Hard, of us, hard to get going spiritually. But, but you see, what matters is that we do it. And this is what I'm, I want to challenge you with as we, as we wrap up. It was suggested that I provide a couple of discussion questions. So here they are. These are not quite so much discussion questions as they are self-reflection questions. Although sometimes it's helpful when you're doing some self-reflection to actually discuss it. Discuss it with your family. Invite your spouse to chime in. You want to know how you're really doing? Ask your spouse. Ask your kids. That's always a heartwarming exercise. Because if you've got a good relationship with them, they'll tell you. Sometimes it's not what you wanted to hear. First question, am I really committed more to holiness than to my personal sense of happiness and fulfillment? Don't answer out loud, please. But that's something for you to reflect on this week. And it's something that you could discuss with those closest to you. 
get their perception of how you're doing in this regard. The second question is this. What can I be doing this week to deepen my relationship with God to improve my marriage? Or if you're single, I assume some of you may be, if you're single, to improve your family relationships. Or to improve the chances of you having a successful marriage when you get married. All right? So what can I be doing this week? And I put the words of this week in there because so often we have good intentions for, for down the road, for the future. And we never get to it because we always keep pushing it on. This Thursday, I'm supposed to be having lunch with a guy that I originally spoke to about having lunch with back in July. And there has just been a constant stream of other things that were more important. And finally, this Thursday, uh, I'll send a note to VG and let, let you all know whether it actually happened or not. I'm beginning to, beginning to kind of lose a little faith. But no, no this week, you need, you need to pin down something and make it the priority so that it's not the thing that gets pushed to the bottom all the time. Well, I'll, I'll read my Bible uh, every day this week. Well, no, not this, not this week. This is a crazy week. Man, I, <sighs> next week, in the, in the future, we, we just, and we can push things into the future indefinitely. So there are a couple of questions. I don't know if anybody has a comment or question about this morning. I, there are two minutes left, so either you ask a question or you leave early. Your choice. Okay, I know what kind of people you are. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I, I've, I've thought a lot about this. Um, how the best way we can, we can have, a, well, a good marriage, but also good family relationships is to be as close to God as possible. Because when we bring the presence of Jesus into every situation in our lives, into our homes, into our relationships with our spouse and our kids and our parents and, and whoever, why that, that blesses everybody. And we want to be that blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these moments that we've had to share together today. Um, you've spoken very clearly to us about personal holiness. You've told us that we need to uh, love one another earnestly, and that includes our spouses. And you've told us that we can only do it through the power of the living and abiding Word of God. And uh, that, would, that would include both the Lord Jesus and His Spirit in us and, and the Scriptures through which He speaks to us so frequently. So I pray, Lord, that uh, this week we might make the start on being the kind of people that You call us to be. Holy people, people who love earnestly, people who find their life in Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.